Last Things First. This episode of Last Things First is sponsored by Casper Mattress. Go to www.casper.com slash lastthingsfirst. Type in the promo code lastthingsfirst and receive an amazing price on an amazing mattress. Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Derek Waters is the co-creator and star of Drunk History which has won both an Emmy and a Sundance Film Festival Award and is now in its fourth season on Comedy Central after appearing first on Funny or Die on HBO. A fifth season is forthcoming. But Drunk History wasn't even the first successful web series from Waters. He previously collaborated with Bob Odenkirk and the Big Bang Theory Simon Helberg on Derek and Simon, which actually was an HBO pilot before it became a web series. And before that, Waters co-starred on a network TV sitcom for ABC called Married to the Kellys. If that history sounds confusing sober, just wait until you try to retell it drunk. Or just ask Derek Waters yourself, like I did. So let's get to it! (laughs) It's perfect for Derek Waters. Uh, It's a quiet, slow voice. (laughs) No one's ever told me to slow down. (laughs) Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me, Sean. Uh, I love your kitchen. You know, the we're here at the Bowery Hotel, which has a manufactured sense of history. Do you appreciate that? I appreciate it, yeah, but I don't it's, know it. It's see, well, no, it, it looks like it's yeah. a lot older than it is. Oh, right, it was probably made in the eighties. <laughs> Looked as if it. I just realized, you know, that little character they have out front. You know who it is? No, it's Winston Churchill. Oh, yeah, didn't know that. I didn't know he had any connection to the Bowery. I don't think he did. <laughs> I think they're just uh, excited about. Winston Churchill and how much he liked to drink. Well, you know that's kind of kind of the allure of, of drunk history. Is it's the fun of playing with our own knowledge of the past. Exactly. Um, last things first, though. Last night uh, you were at a panel at the Paley Center, mm-hmm. and one of the questions came from a history teacher. Mm-hmm. How scary was that? <laughs> the way he set it up. Mm-hmm. Do you mind if I tell yeah, go your for listeners? It. So this young man, his name is Kevin, um, and he started off by saying, I'm a teacher, and first of all, you guys are excellent. And I was like, oh, no, he's setting up for a little hit, you know? And he never hit. No. And I realized later last night, I was like, you know why he did that? Because a good teacher knows how to get your attention, and he got it immediately. Mm. Because everybody, we said, we all changed our positions. We were all on defense mode, like, oh, no, what is he going to ask about? But, uh, no, it worked out, and there's never anyone that's a, uh, a better compliment coming from a, a teacher. You know, that's Is, is that better than an Emmy? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I do. Th- I know it sounds like I'm lying, but, like, an Emmy is cool, but, like, a teacher let gives you respect is like the ultimate goal you know i think for at least for this show have you heard from any of your teachers my favorite teacher of all time mr stang gil stang 
S T A N G. He is the best, and we have reconnected uh, because of the show mm-hmm. and because of this thing called Facebook. And it's just a dream come true that I'm now friends with Mr. Stang, you know. And every day I would come home from school and just so excited to tell my parents about Mr. Stang because he wasn't, you know, I think that the reason why we like certain teachers is because they do it differently and they don't teach, they talk to you and they don't look down on you. And, you know, Mr. Stang could just humanize so many historical figures that you're usually just told, like, they were so important, blah, blah, blah. He just put such a great angle on it. And the more, like, press I do for the show and the more I do the show, I realize how much he really did influence this show and my love for history, you know, came from him. And to be able to do something that uh, people do a lot of, which is, you know, tell stories, but to try to do it in a different way. And I think those are the people that always stand out. What kind of feedback has he given you? Uh, he just he likes it. Mm-hmm. He just he likes it, and uh, that's what, all I really. What grade? Want. Uh, that was tenth and eleventh grade. Tenth okay. and eleventh grade high school. Now you started. You were getting on TV by twenty-two, right? Yeah, so yeah. did you already know when you were in Mr. Stang's class that show business was? I knew I loved loved like. I wanted to be Chris Farley. Like, mm-hmm. I loved Chris Farley and I liked Al Pacino. So I was trying to figure out a mix in between Pacino and Farley, you know? And, uh, I knew, cause I would do plays in school and I wanted to be a baseball player before that. And then once I realized I wasn't good, <laughs> I was like, oh, I've been making movies with my friends in the backyard. Maybe I should audition for a play. And so I did based off a dear friend, Jeff True Love. That's an amazing name for an amazing person encouraged me to audition for Fiddler on the Roof and I got that and it's like anything you like think it could work but you don't know Mm -hmm. you know and then through doing plays I started like learning more about movies and when I saw Waiting for Guffman I was like I don't know if I want to be an actor I want to make stuff like Waiting for Guffman I want to make things that I hadn't seen before so that was a really inspiring moment seeing that uh, movie and so I went to Second City in Toronto and studied there and then moved to Los Angeles when I was 20. And I would keep getting auditions like stoned-looking guy number seven, drunk-sounding guy number eight. And I was like, I could be bitter about this or mm-hmm. I could be proactive and prove that I'm not just like that. And so I started writing. How did you decide Toronto and not Chicago? I went to both cities and I felt like for two days apiece and just met people that were at Second City or at Improv Olympic. And... Um, just kind of felt what the vibe was in Chicago was so much more of like knowing your stuff and Toronto had a lot of people that knew their stuff but it had more of a welcoming uh, vibe I got from Toronto what than year Chicago. was this? that was 99 okay yeah so do you remember any of the people all of them do you remember any of the Chicago people oh yeah, yeah that yeah, were yeah. there at the time oh yes because I uh, then you know be- Met them later mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. Um, people like Tammy Sager, she was on main stage, and uh, Kevin Dorff, and all those people are just so so uh, intimidating in the best way. I just wanted to be like them. <laughs> Have you seen that movie? Don't think twice. I haven't yet, and I <laughs> need Amy's to. In. I I know it's. I've only it's, heard great things. It's very true about improv and comedy and show business and all of that. You liked it. Who was? Yeah, it's um. Yeah, it felt very real. 
who was part of your circle in Second City, Toronto? Uh, there were, I mean, you know, um, I mean, I know one that, like, well, like my dear teacher, Albert Howe, he was amazing and we're still friends now and an amazing actor named Peter Olgring and Jack Mosshammer and, uh, yeah, but, um, a lot of them go in and out of Canada and Los mm-hmm. Angeles, but I'll never forget all those people that helped me so much. But you said you wanted to, you learned early on that you wanted to make things. Yeah, I didn't know what. So I knew. So when you, when you found yourself getting a a co-starring role on an ABC sitcom, mm-hmm. yeah, did that did that change your worldview at all? Yeah. And then, thankfully, it got canceled, so I got put down back to earth. Right, you know, I was lasted one full season. Yeah, married I was to 22, the... making seventeen thousand dollars a week for twenty-two episodes. It was insane. And then, but there was never a thought in my mind like, "Oh, maybe this isn't funny." It was like mm-hmm. I'm working. Like I've always wanted to work. This is great. And then when it ended, I didn't work for four or five years after that, and was just doing. Second City and Improv Olympic and and making shorts with my friends because that's all I really could do, you know. Well, that kind of leads me to, I mean, you were doing a lot of work with Simon Hubbard. It's on, yeah, we had and our own that show. Was, that was supposed to be a TV show. Yeah. And it ended up going the other way and becoming a web series. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now everybody's trying to go the other way. And, exactly. And, yeah. Yeah. And follow the drunk history model. Right. Is, how can I get a web series that gets picked up gets to, on, to TV? Yeah, on TV. Yeah. We went backwards. <laughs> He's doing okay though, um, but that was a different. But I mean, that was a completely different time. A hundred percent. It was the very beginning of internet comedy. Of right. Like it was called Super Deluxe, which I believe is now back. It did but just come back, it, but it's different yeah. ownership, different people. Right. Yeah. But it was also, you know, you get a chance to meet and work with your hero, Bob Odenkirk, that wants to do a show with you. You just say yes, you know. So when we did the HBO pilot and it didn't get picked up, it got into Sundance, and then people kept passing around the dvds and we were just like we want to keep doing this and so bob was like super deluxe just started and we can do 13 episodes i think it was like five grand for 13 episodes or something like that and uh yeah it was just yeah for that time it was really really cool and i i still i i love those moments in my life i'm yeah it's those moments that make you go oh that's why i still want to do this because it's just the hunger for it you know When's the last time you thought about buying a mattress? For me, the first time I thought about buying one was when I was 21 years old, and that was a long, long time ago. You know, a lot has changed in terms of how you go about buying and and testing things out. You know, last things first. The last thing of the day is you want rest. And the first thing you want when you wake up is you want to feel good. You don't want to feel all cranky or feel kind of knots in your neck because you're on a bumpy mattress. And Casper has done this amazing thing where they take two technologies. It's a hybrid of latex foam and memory foam. And uh, I don't know how much it remembers, but uh, I know the latex feels good. And it provides just the right sink and the right bounce for you. And it's obsessively engineered. I, you know, most engineers are obsessive, I think. So, you know, that's that's great. It's also made in America, which is good. I like, uh, I like being a, a, a patriot, a, a true citizen of the world and of my country. Really, the most important thing, though, is they've taken this comfortable mattress and they've given it to you at a fair price. Actually, better than fair. Uh, if you're going online and you're looking at, at mattresses, you might see prices upward of $1,500. But at Casper, you can get a twin-size mattress for 500 or a king-size for 950 
you know, that's just outstanding. I, I can help and make it even more outstanding for you right now. You can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash last things first and use the promo code I'm giving you right now, last things first. Terms and conditions apply, but uh, sleep is your primary need, and I'm here with Casper to give it to you. Thanks. What was your sense of the, the landscape then? Because there was Super Deluxe, it was, you know, YouTube had been around for a year or two. Mm-hmm. What was my what? Sorry. Your sense of the, the landscape in terms of like making content online. Uh, I thought it was cool because you got to, you didn't have someone telling you couldn't do the certain content, which mm-hmm. I believe now is better than ever of creativity and allowing artists to make what they want. I think Louis C.K. really started that in a huge way with effects and um but i was really hesitant of like anything online because i felt then and i still a little now is like so much content is based on hits instead of the actual content like right 30 million people watch this yeah but is it good like why are you sending me something (laughs) just because a lot of people have seen it so i was really hesitant on uh Definitely Drunk History wasn't going to be on the internet. I was too afraid that uh, it would just be judged in the wrong way. So I only wanted it to be this DVD that got passed around. And then when no one was responding to it, it just felt like, okay, let's just see what happens. And I specifically did it on Christmas break. So it would hopefully be the thing that when you're bored with your family and like, oh, maybe we'll watch that video somebody sent me. And somehow it just... It kept going. Well, of course, the South Park right, yeah, yeah, mythos yeah. begins with Christmas. Yeah. It was... It's so nuts that it, they did something similar. <laughs> they, yeah. yeah. Well, they, they made it specifically as a Christmas card that got passed around. Right, right. But did that enter your thinking at all? They're like, oh, maybe... To do a Christmas the, card? Uh, or no, that maybe by releasing it around Christmas that this could be the thing that people... Yeah, yeah. No, that was the hope that it would be, it would be the thing. And... Uh, it got on the front page of YouTube, and remember how it used to be such a big deal. It was a huge deal, and uh, it was probably, yeah, you it was know, probably you and the uh, evolution of dance guy. <laughs> yeah, I love that guy. He is fast, and I also will say I, I humbly think the concept of drunk history is great, but it would not have been as popular without Michael Sarah. There's no way he is my dear friend that I'll ever be indebted to for doing that. Because it was a big I mean, risk. people know Jake Johnson now. Of course. But not yeah, then. not then. No, no, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's so crazy. I just went back and watched those first couple of episodes, and, uh, is that Dances on, on with Wolves? Life? That is. Don't <laughs> tell anyone they're going to shut it down. It's Dances with Wolves and, uh, Cold Mountain. <laughs> yeah. Not an original score. But now we have, I bring him up anytime I can. Dan Gross is our, uh, uh, he does the drunk history music. He right, I noticed it. there's there's a there's a certain delineation between the first few episodes and then when you went to Funny or Die, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's such a such a kind of long journey for Drunk History because <laughs> yeah, because you had that first episode with Michael Sarah on mm-hmm. YouTube, and then a few more, and then nothing yeah. for like a year or so, yeah. and yeah. then you beca- you end up with Funny or Die, mm-hmm. then you go to Sundance. Right, yeah, and got the best American short film. Right. <laughs> 2010, yeah. Tell me Nuts. about how, because that wasn't, 
how you planned. Yeah, no, that but, was not planned. What did you, what you, know, did you plan when you were making those first few? Just for fun. Uh, this could be funny. This could be a funny thing. And that mm-hmm. was it. Not like, oh, this will someday be a show. No, this is, could, this will just be fun. Let's make stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, get our friends like notoriety of being, uh, comedians and hopefully people will find us and, uh, just more and more people just like, you know, when Jack Black says he wants to be in it and Danny McBride, you're just like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen with this, but I'm going to ride this wave. And that is still the way I feel about the show where I'm like four seasons. How is this not old? <laughs> you know, cause I'm a comedy snob and I'm proud of that. I don't like most comedy and because it's like repetitious. And so, like I said last night on the panel, I'm, my goal is that it's the stories, you know, it has to be the stories that keep you, you know, the comedy gets you in and I hope the stories keep, uh, you there, keep the audience. You mentioned having gone to Sundance before with Simon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that what fueled the idea to take drunk history there instead I, of just straight to TV? No, it was, um, uh, it, it was a mixture of, you know, going there was so much fun. And then it was right, I believe, when Sundance had decided that you, you used to not be allowed to screen anything that existed somewhere else. And this was the first time they wanted to take that risk and show people, like, oh, no, even though this lived on Funny or Die, it was HBO and Funny or Die, right. you can screen it and... Sundance, and so it was just a cool opportunity. Never a thought. I didn't even know you could win an award for shorts. I really didn't. So it wasn't something that like this has to get an award. It's like, no, Will Ferrell wants to be Abraham Lincoln. Let's just do a cool story of <laughs> Frederick Douglass and and Zoe Deschanel and the, the best. I mean, the reason this show really has sustained was Jen Kirkman. I mean, you don't have a better narrating that she is the queen yeah she was in two of the first six yeah exactly yeah and uh yeah so it's a mixture of so many things and you knew her from the awesomeness the vh1 no project or from uh her ex-husband neil mahoney okay and still is a dear friend and he was the editor for super deluxe uh derek and simon show and so uh just knowing her and through the comedy world but uh yeah i'll ever be uh, indebted to her as well i have a lot of people i have to give credit to when you when you win the award at sundance does that change your 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 mindset your goals for the show no it didn't it really was just like well that's the end because what are we going to do that's better than a sundance award that was it it was like that's, that's it and then People just kept saying, what about a show? And I was like, how is that a show? How is it a show? It's going to get old. And so a big inspiration, um, um, Stephen Fry across America was mm-hmm. a show. And I was like, oh, maybe it could be like this where I'm going across the country trying to learn history. And that was the pilot that no one will ever see is that uh, the opening was me in a bus. Mm-hmm. And I say at 30 years old, I've realized I don't know anything about my country. So I decided to rent a short bus and drive across America to find out what happened. So like each city, and the pilot was Boston, which aired. The goal was find someone that has a historical story about that town, uh, um, a, per- a local story, 
and a personal story. So in Boston, if you watch that one, you can see it's a little different than the others. And okay. it's because that was the original idea. And Comedy Central was so smart of wanting to broaden that and not make it my journey, make it everybody's journey. So it was a great note. And I love ripping on people, but there is nothing I can rip on about Comedy Central. <laughs> they really have been nothing but supportive. What did you learn between the very first episode... Uh, which features the story of Alexander Hamilton mm-hmm. and this season's version of Alexander Hamilton, which is narrated by Lynn Manuel Miranda. Name drop. <laughs> what What's the difference between the two? Is that what you said? Yeah. What, what What do you think you've learned in terms of making making this show between then and this episode that you're still actively editing? I'm only pausing because I want to give a great answer. It's a great question. I think what I've learned the most is uh, it's about the story. It's not about the premise. And I think I was so, for the first one, it was just the premise. I'm like, this is a funny premise. I didn't know much about Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. And my question that when we would do it online was I was asking narrators or people that I liked, what's a moment of history that you think more people need to know about? I would, I wasn't assigning stories. Mm-hmm. I was asking for them. And Mark Agliardi, who told the first one, had just seen a documentary about the duel and wanted to talk about it. So to answer your question is I've learned that it's got to be a great story. You know, there's in learning storytelling in a, in a brand new way. I've learned so much about that. And there's so much stuff that has to get cut that stinks. Well, that first episode uh, also features, um, Alexander Hamilton using a cell phone. That's true. That's true. I wonder if that'll <laughs> He makes come a lot back. of phone calls. I wonder if that'll He makes come back. a lot of phone calls he does. for being, he loved for being using an 1800. That cell phone. Yeah. What was it? Uh, I'm going to love you. What is that? Uh, I'm going to love you. I'm going to miss you. Yeah. I'm going to love you. I'm going to miss you. Yeah. There's a cell phone in the Hamilton one. Lin Man, Man says it too. Somebody uh, FaceTimes with uh, Hamilton. <laughs> Or actually, it's with Burr, but uh, <laughs> it's still uh, a phone joke. Yeah. And we shot Alia Shawcat plays Hamilton and uh, Aubrey Plaza plays Burr. And uh, we do a shot that's uh, identical to Michael and Jake where they're next to each other, but they're not uh, talking directly to each other. They're talking out. It was a shot that we... Anyway, it was a, whatever. Who gives a shit? <laughs> well, that, no, that, goes, that goes back to my question, though. Like, what have you learned in terms of, like, how you want to tell these stories mm-hmm. like you're talking about just like even the setting up of the shots and- yeah i think yeah now it's more like oh it's, it's it's a bonus that it like has to look good you know the 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 secret ingredient to the show is that it is the premise is a comedy but the rest is history it has to all be taken as serious as possible once the storytelling is over like i always like to imagine like these guys are trying their best. They don't have a lot of money, but they're trying as hard as they can to make a history show. And sometimes, you know, wigs fall off and things like that. It's got to stay a little homemade so it doesn't look like we're taking ourselves too seriously. Speaking of which, do you, do you take yourself... What did you think? You're the first person I've ever asked that has seen it that had nothing to do with the first act. It's only six minutes. Oh, with of, Lin-Man? Talk- yeah, because it's a lot more, but that was just... Uh, the opening. I was surprised at how composed he was. Mm-hmm. It gets but stronger then, as it well, goes on. Well, no, you on. end the, yeah. the, the, the beat with 
him realizing how how much how yeah. he actually is drunk. Yeah. So I'll be yeah yeah interested to see how it devolves. Yes, yes, it will, it will. I promise. Do you like being in four seasons and starting to even think about the fifth season? Do you do you start to take yourself a little bit more seriously in terms of making a show that's about history? You talked about impressing your high school yeah i always want to impress him yeah i mean i never will take myself seriously but i am seriously looking at it as you know not ever wanting it to get old and what is my job my job is to tell stories that i think we all need to know about and finding those hidden stories i'm really excited like we have one this year about uh, the wright brothers and we reveal that there was a wright sister that got erased like we don't know anything about her and she was the one that inspired these guys and taught them so much about aviation so so looking at season five is just like me going like all right but what is what is the what are the best Mm -hmm. stories what which ones are gonna make you go oh my god i can't believe i didn't get taught that i guess i'm repeating myself but do you think it's possible that uh drunk history could win a peabody I don't know. I've never. Yeah, I really don't. <laughs> that it think becomes about. <laughs> it becomes serious and yet silly enough to get that uh, kind of you prestige. Know, Peabody, Peabody. If they want that to give that, sure. I just <laughs> want it to be good. And uh, secretly, it's a history show. Mm. What uh, what kind of historical advice have you have you come across that's kind of helped you with your own life and career? <laughs> what historical advice have I learned? Uh, well. I've learned there's a lot of thieves in history. There's a lot of thieves. A lot of people steal. Um, and you just have to keep going. There's so many great stories of the underdog that just like kept getting shit on and just said, no, like, I don't care how much I get shit on. I have to keep going. And I think you can learn that anywhere. But that is something I've really learned a lot about stories in the past and what I feel like with the show is like, I just gotta keep going and make it better and better. Has there been a story you've you've come across, whether you've done it for TV or not, that you felt really resonated with you personally? Mm. You're like, oh, I really need to tell this story because it speaks to me. Oh man, I don't know. I feel like this the season we're working on now, season mm. five, there will be. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. Sorry, no, I'm fine. being vague about it. <laughs> I was in a lot of slow classes in school, so like anything that like is like people being picked on or like you know uh, people you know in special ed and stuff like that. I like it doesn't screen comedy, but I want to do something that kind of focuses on you know special education right. and stuff like how that kind of in a different way than The Ringer did with Johnny Knoxville. Yes, yes, a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be different than The Ringer. <laughs> It's going to be different. <laughs> I always ask uh, my guests this. Uh, if somebody new in comedy or acting or, or filmmaking comes up to you and asks you for advice, what's the first thing you tell them? Oh, man. I, it's a short answer, but okay. I'll say it in a long way. Is the thing that we're taught as kids or we're told as kids is like, be yourself as no one's like you. And I think it's it just takes time to accept that in any business is like, once you're comfortable and you can be yourself, then no one's going to be able to stop you because you're being you, you know. So I think being true to what you believe in and what you find funny and just like it's a 
hard road, but if you're enjoying it, it's the best. And my grandfather used to say this was like, you always know when you're doing something right, and you always know when you're doing something wrong. And I feel like life's that simple. Hmm. We have the signs. It's just are we listening to them or are we ignoring them, you know? I guess that's why they say that uh, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Yes, you're 100% true. It's the only yeah. way we'll learn. you got to be paying attention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, oh, thanks, my gosh. Thanks, thanks for paying attention to me. I love paying attention to you. <laughs> thanks for listening to my slow voice. Oh, it's a pleasure. I, I think people will be able to catch up. Okay, good. <laughs> Thank you very much. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.